have at the beginning of Parshas Kisavai a parsha called Vidoi Meiser, which is the confessional that's given at the end of the three-year cycle of giving various forms of Meiser every year. It's sort of like a different, uh, a different um, lineup of what Meiser you give. And after you've completed the cycle, then you declare, you make a confessional, and that's what is described in this week's parasha. And what you say is, one of the things you say is, That I have not trespassed your mitzvahs, I have not violated your mitzvahs, meaning I haven't been over any of your mitzvahs, and I have not forgotten to perform your mitzvahs. So, the Svasemis asks that L'chaira, you're saying that I've kept the mitzvahs. means I kept all of the mitzvahs that I had to. So, of course, if you kept all the mitzvahs, doesn't it go without saying that you haven't forgotten any of the mitzvahs? If I tell you that I kept the mitzvah of tefillin, let's say, and then, would it be necessary for me to say, and I haven't forgotten the mitzvah of and if I kept it, I didn't forget it. So, the Svasemes says a beautiful, very penetrating insight. And he says that the truth of the matter is, it's very possible for a person to keep mitzvahs, and yet to forget about the mitzvahs. How do you do that? How is it possible for me to keep the mitzvah of tefillin, to perform the mitzvah of tefillin, and yet at the same time to have completely forgotten the mitzvah of tefillin? We do it many days. We put on the mitzvah of tefillin, we put on the yad, and we put on the reish, and we take off the yad, and we take off the reish, and it left absolutely no impression upon us. If you would ask, be asked if you know, did you put filling on today? You'd have to like scratch your head and think for a second because it was a complete blur. It did not make a single rishim. So I did the mitzvah of fillin, but I forgot about the mitzvah of fillin. I had complete hesachadas. I did it by rote. I did it as mitzvahs anoshim ulamada, as a mitzvah that a person performs sort of like a, like a, like a monkey. We do the mitzvahs, but how often after we performed the mitzvah, did it have absolutely no impact upon us? Did we space out throughout the entire time that we did the mitzvah? is a statement, a declaration that not only did I keep the mitzvah, but when I did the mitzvah, I did it all in. I was completely engaged in what I was doing, I was not thinking, I was not distracted, I was not in a different world. I was in the zone of the mitzvah that I was performing. And that is something that we need to speak about a little bit because I find, again, myself constantly feeling that you do mitzvahs, you spend a lot of time doing mitzvahs every day, you spend a lot of money often doing mitzvahs, and it should be a rich experience. It shouldn't be an experience that is empty and that's old and tired. One which we don't really have a geschmack in. One in which we just sort of, you know, let it go without really getting the dividends that should be accruing to us. We're considered to be good Jews. We're considered to be people. We are the Bnei Taira. We are Shemir Taira Mitzvahs. We keep the mitzvahs like no other people. We're very medactic with all of the mitzvahs. We wear tzitzis every day. We wear tefillin every day. We wear yarmulke. We wear, uh, we, we eat foods with a hefshir and we, and we, we dive in three times a day and we learn Taira. But we have to ask ourselves once in a while, is the Yiddishkeit that we're having decaffeinated or caffeinated? Is the Yiddishkeit that we 
take into our systems, does it have the spunk that we need it to? Or is it just completely decaffeinated, dehydrated, there's no geschmack in it, there's no water in it, there's no taste to it. It's just, it's just we're doing it because we're doing it. Because our friends are doing it, our parents are doing it, our abeim are doing it, but we ourselves feel that feeling that we're not doing it right. We're not really feeling it. And we're not living it. We're just going through a charade and an act without really having the hergish that is necessary. The Chavitz Chaim, as reported by Rav Shimon Schwab in his Sefer, Rav Schwab says over a lot of things in his Svarim from the Chavitz Chaim. And you'd think, you know, Rav Schwab was probably like a big Talmud of the Chavitz Chaim. He probably learned in Rabin for a few years. But truth be told, I don't think he was there more than once. And he spent the Shabbos in Rabin. The only difference between Rav Schwab and other people that went to spend time by the Chavetz Chaim is that Rav Schwab remembered every detail that the Chavetz Chaim said over that weekend that he was there. And he wrote it down and he recorded it. And he constantly, constantly repeated many of these golden nuggets that he was able to take away from that experience being at the table of the Chavetz Chaim. One of the things that Rav Schwab reports that he heard directly from the Chavetz Chaim that Shabbos was, the Chavetz Chaim was very old by then, but he started asking a certain question. We all know, every school child, every yeshiva boy knows about the mun. And the mun was this magical food, and this mun was a food that no matter what taste you wanted it to be, that's what it was. It was sort of like a, you know, it had a certain ability to become whatever you imagined it to be. So if you were in the mood for pizza, when you ate the mun, it tasted like pizza. And if you were in the mood for a hamburger, it tasted like a hamburger. If you were in the mood for shawarma, it tasted like shawarma. A simple question. Let's say a person wasn't thinking about any food when he ate that mun. Then what did it taste like? Like, what was the default taste? Did it taste like vanilla? Like, what was the, the taste without any thinking? When you weren't thinking about any exotic food, what did it taste like? And the Chavetz Chaim answered his own question. And he said that when a person doesn't think, it had no taste. When a person doesn't think, things are tasteless. And the Chavetz Chaim was implying, or maybe he said at the Therish, that that's how life is. Life is like the mun, that if you think about it, if you daven and you really have kavana, then it's delicious. It's an awesome davening. But if you daven and you have zero kavana, if you're davening and you're thinking about everything else but davening, then it has no taste. There's no tam. If there's no machshava, there's no tam. Schwab adds to this vart that that is why he says the um, when we learn the Birkas Atayra is the Harevna we're supposed to ask that Kaddish Baruch I don't want to just learn I want the learning should be sweet to me I want to be able to think not just about what I'm learning, but I want to be able to think about the geschmack in learning. I want to be able to experience learning like in the highest levels, not just intellectually the subject that I'm learning like any other subject, but I want to feel that I'm being makusher with you, Hashem. I should feel the sweetness. I should taste the sweetness. I should taste the Torah as if it was complete honey, which it is. So can say that, that it tastes like honey.
And if we're asking ourselves, why doesn't it taste like honey? Then that means that we're not there yet. That we're not thinking enough, we're not in the zone enough, we're not dedicating ourselves enough. Something. But something is wrong if we're living life as Jews, but we're just going through the motions of being Orthodox Jews without really feeling deep inside our souls. how we should be feeling. By davening, this is especially problematic. So many times by davening, we daven Shemayn Esrei, and, you know, Shemayn Esrei is very challenging. Shemayn Esrei, the Allah is that the first brach of Shemayn Esrei, until Magen Abraham, you have to have kavana in the Pirish Hamilam. You have to know what the words are saying. You have to think, you have to focus on the words and their meaning. The rest of Shemayn Esra, you don't necessarily need that. That much kavana, you should obviously try to have that much kavana, but if you don't, it's okay. But you do have to have kavana at least, that you're oimed l'fnei melech. That when you're davening Shemayn Esra, you're standing in the presence of the melech malchei amochem. And I find it personally very challenging not only to remember that I'm Ayman of Melech the entire davening from the beginning to the end, but even that one first bracha that you know you're supposed to be Mechavin on the words, it's like the Sahara sometimes or, or honestly every single time puts a full court press on me and doesn't allow me to even have Kavana in the Pirish of the first few. How many... It's not that, it shouldn't be that difficult. But yet every time you start saying Baruch Atah Hashem, all of a sudden these random thoughts pop into your head about what you're doing later today, about where you're going for Shabbos, about excitement about the Shmuz, whatever it is, you know, that goes through your head, something happens, something jumps in at you and doesn't allow you to be Mechavein properly. Well, obviously... The reason for that is because tefillah is dvarim ha'imdim berumay shalaylam. Tefillah is major. Whenever, you know, whenever the Yetzirah doesn't want you to do something, you should know that that's what you should be doing because you could, you could measure how chash something is by how much resistance you have to doing it. That's why the Chavitz Chaim says that Taira is the hardest thing to do. You know, sometimes, like I said in the Bad the other day, you know, to open up a Gemara, that cover you know, weighs about 10,000 pounds. You know, you just have to, you know, should I, shouldn't I? Okay, fine. Once it's open, it's geschmack. Once you get going, it's great. But until you schlep yourself to the base manager and open the Gemara and start learning, it's it's like World War Three every time. You know why that is? Because the Sahara, Chavitz Chaim used to say, the Sahara lets you do any mitzvah. You want to drive a mitzvah tank around the streets of Manhattan and put on filling and lulav and everything on people, fine. He's fine with that. Just don't learn Tyra, because Tyra is like the turbocharged nuclear mitzvah of all mitzvahs. The schar that we get for one word of Tyra is Ein Shire. All the Hanais in the world can't compare to the schar that we'll get for every single word of Tyra. But we know that. But the Yitzhahara knows that also. And therefore the Yitzhahara tries its best to stop us at any cost from learning. Mitzvahs sometimes are easy. I have no problem shopping for a little bit of but you know, after that, to go to the base Medrash and learn a little bit, it's impossible. Because it's so chashev to learn that the Sahara doesn't want us to. So if we see that it's so hard for us to daven and to have kavan and shmanesi, you should know that it's precisely because it's so chashev that the Sahara is really trying to pull out all the stops to make us not want to have kavan and daven. I'll never forget the, the first Rosh Shiva in, in, in Beis Fadish Talmud in Lander. Um, his name is um, Abba Brunspiegel. He's all gesundsein. He should be healthy. And um, he lives today in Lakewood. And he always used to say, I remember that, I think he said it for a Blei Vietzim that after a Yid finishes Hishman Esrei and he makes Isa Shalom, he takes three steps back, you should go over to him and say Shalom Aleichem. Why should you go over and say Shalom Aleichem? So it's very easy. Because during Nachman Esrei, the Yid has been in Hanalulu, 
and the Yid has been in Miami, and you Imamish took a tour of the whole Eretz Yisrael, and you were in Switzerland a little bit, then you were at City Field, you were at Yankee State, you were Imamish, you did a whole tour of the universe, all within Shemin So you should go over and wish him a Shalom Aleichem. He came back. That's what Levi Yitzhami Bar-Ditchud used to say. And if that was true in the times of Levi Yitzhak, for a tzaddik like Levi Yitzhak and his dar, so then what are we going to say? It didn't get better. We know that we have challenges when we daven. Is our davening really a davening? How often, besides for Ne'ilah, how often do we really have a Shemayin Esrei that we could really sink our teeth into? And that when we're shuffling, we're not shuffling because other people are looking at us shuffling, we're shuffling because we're being mistabic in the Rabbi Nishayim. How often does that happen, really? How many times have we davened a Shemayin uh, Esrei and we say, Atachayin Adam Das, and then we, we, it's Matzai Shabbos, and we forget to say, Atachen Antanu. Am I the only person that, like, forgets every once in a while to say, Atachen Antanu? I find it ironic that in the bracha of, of Das, in the bracha that we're blessing HaKadosh Baruch Hu for giving us Das, we have Shikha. We forget time and again to say, Atachen Antanu. Isn't that funny? What's the answer? The answer is that we say it, but we don't mean it. We're thanking HaKadosh Baruch for giving us das. We don't utilize our das when it comes to Rabbi Nishan. We utilize our das when it comes to other things. We're brilliant when it comes to video games, when it comes to chem labs, when it comes to, you know, anything that we're interested in doing in our personal lives, we're very good at. We're very creative. When it comes to serving Rabbi Nishan, a lot of times it's very, very stale, brittle, dry. You use the word, but it's a problem. This is the Taina, this is the Lishna Bisha, the Lashon Hara, that Haman told Achashverosh. When Haman wanted to kill out all the Jews, and he had to give a convincing argument to Hachashverosh, the major argument that won the day was, Yeshnai am echad. There is one nation, and Chazal say in Megillah Yudgimel Mubez, that Haman was saying, Yeshnai min amitzvah. The Jews, they're sleeping from the mitzvahs. They're sleeping at the wheel. You don't have to worry about them. Because the only time that Jews are really powerful, that you have to worry that their God is going to get angry at touching them, is when they're engaged. And when they're really into it. But right now in history, says Haman Tachashir, right now is a great time to wipe them off the map. Because Yeshnam, Yeshnam, they're sleeping, they're Yeshenim, they're... They're lying in sleep, in slumber. They're comatose. When it comes to the mitzvahs, they're not doing it with a geshmak. And this is the greatest, this is the greatest accusation that could be made against us. And that's why we came very close to being destroyed. Because when a Jew is not feeling it, then it really doesn't count for too much. And that's a shame. Because look at all the time and the effort we're putting into it anyway. Finger Chatzel used to say that your Chatzel used to daven very long shmanasres and they would wait for him in yeshivas. In the yeshivas that he was the mashkiach, they would wait for Reb Chatzel. So Reb Chatzel used to say, listen, you're waiting for me anyway. Let's say he took an 18-minute Shmanasri. You're waiting for me anyway. So why don't you also use that 18 minutes instead of instead of you know just spacing out, davening a shorter Shmanasri quickly, why don't you also daven an 18-minute Shmanasri? You're, you're going to stand there anyway waiting for Kedusha. And that's sort of what I think is a muscle for our lives. Like we're doing it anyway. We're waking up 
we're putting on tefillin, we're davening, we're learning, we're benching, we're doing all these things. We're doing them. We're going through the motions. It's not like we get off if we don't do a tefillin and we're not doing them. We're doing them. So doesn't it behoove us, once we're doing it, to do it engaged, to do it like HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to do it, to be able to be alive. The Eish Kaidesh, the um, Piazetsna, wrote a little, I think it's my favorite, one of my favorite, you know, pieces and, you know, of many, many things that I've read from him. And he, he writes beautiful Tyra, deep Tyra, but he wrote one thing when he was 40 years old. On his 40th birthday, he wrote, him, he wrote a little note. And he basically said, what should I ask you, Hashem, on this my 40th birthday? I'm, you know, I want, I want to ask him, you know, birthday present. From here you see on your birthday, you should daven to the Rebbe they should give you a present. What should I ask? It's my 40th birthday. I want something. What should I ask for? He says, to be, you know, better in learning. He says, Baruch Hashem, I think I'm pretty good in learning. He says, to be, uh, you know, to this, I have that, Baruch Hashem. I'm not, I'm, I'm lacking, I'm, I'm doing okay, you know, in many, many departments. He says, I have everything I want. He says, there's just one thing that I need from you, Hashem. He says, I want a soul. I want to have an neshama. He says, I look the part, I dress the part, I have all the begotten, I got the, the strimo, I got the, the, the kapata, I got the bekesha, I got the whole nine yards. Full metal jacket, I got everything. There's one thing that I'm not, I dive in and I learn the whole, everything. But I lack a soul. I lack the ability to feel to feel like I should feel inside when I'm doing mitzvahs, when I'm doing kaira. If the Halakha Piazetsno would have this hargish, so I don't think we have to be embarrassed if we have that same hargish that we're lacking. Because trust me, the Piazetsno really had a neshama, a very deep neshama. He was just saying it like, you know, maybe he needs more of a soul. But he had, you know, 99%, he was missing 1%, maybe. We're missing, or I'm missing 100%. So when we ask our Hadesh Baruch to give us the Siyat Dishmaya to be inspired and to wake up from being asleep at the wheel of Tyre and Mitzvahs, it's, 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 a, it's an emergency. It's a crisis. Because it's not like we're doing it okay. It's not okay. If it's not real, it's not okay. And I know that maybe sometimes we did feel this way. Maybe when we were in Eretz Yisrael, we felt you know, much more on fire. You know, maybe certain times of the year we feel more inspired. But we know that we have in us the capacity to feel inspired and to feel like there's something still alive inside. And if we don't feel that way now, we can't just, you know, throw our hands up and say, well, you know, that's America, that's college, that's this, that's that. We have to be able to fight the good fight and to get back those feelings of having an neshama, of being inspired, of being eager, of being being alive. Yaina Navi, which we're going to read on Yom Kippur. Yaina Navi, we know the story, he was a Navi and he was told by Hashem to go and give a Nebuah to Ninveh, that Ninveh was going to be destroyed unless they do Tshuva, and he didn't want to. He did not want to in the worst way possible, and he did something quite strange for a Navi to do. Normally a Navi might not like the mission, but he's a Navi, so do it. Yaina Navi decided to run away. Obviously, it's not such a simple thing to run away from God, but he asked Hashpainas that he made why it was a good idea to do so. He thought it was better for Klal Yisrael. If he would do that, it would be better for Hashem. Whatever his Hashpain was, he had a Hashpain. He ran away. He goes into a, into a ship, 
He wants to get out of Eretz Yisrael so that hopefully the Nebuah will stop being Shaira upon him. He goes on this ship and all of a sudden as soon as the ship gets out to sea it starts tossing and turning. There's a major killer storm out there. And it's getting more and more violent. And strangely enough, you know, everyone else is like trying to pull the oars so that the boat goes back to sea, back to shore. Uh, they're davening, they're doing a lot of stuff on the boat. A lot of, they weren't, there wasn't a boat full of chasidim. It was a boat that was full of Chazal tell us there was members of all the 70 nations of the world. All the Eidyavadizara of the world, the United Nations of Ksira, Minas, Avadizara, that's what was on the boat. Yaina Navi, you'd think he would be standing on like, you know, on the top of the, uh, on the top of the sails of the boat and screaming to the Rabbanisha, no. Yaina Navi, he excuses himself when no one's looking, he just goes down to the bottom of the boat and he goes to sleep. This turbulent storm is brewing back and forth. I'll never forget when, when my wife and I were, uh, Kala and Kassan. So, Somebody that lives on my block in Long Beach um, invited us on a Sunday to go with him on his sailboat. Very proud of the sailboat, you know, nice sailboat. And uh, he was chaperoning us every, you know, when you come on my sailboat. I said, finally, all right, you know, it's a free date. We'll go on the sailboat. So, you know, my mother packed lunch for us, and we we went on the sailboat, and this boat was tossing and turning and tossing and turning and I got so sick. I just, I went down to the bottom of the boat like Yaina and I don't know if Yaina did this but I was physically, it was terrible. It was like off. I just, I mamish wanted to jump off that boat and swim. And then my Kala, my wife Kala, you know, she also got very sick. And the guy in the, we were like, it wasn't like there was a hundred people on the boat. It was just the two of us and this guy said, please just, you know, take us back. And we wanted to go back to this. No. You know, where it's a beautiful day, he's enjoying it, he says, are you eating your lunch? Eating our lunch? We can't look at it, we can't, okay, he says, I do this all the time, I, always, I never pack my own lunch because people on the boat, you know, they always, they always get sick, I eat their lunch, do you mind, like, okay, here, you know, just give, leave me the bag, you know, I need, I need the bag, but uh, you can have the lunch, but it was a, you know, it's a, you know, but Yaina Nabi, Yaina Nabi, you know, he just fell asleep. He went down. It was like tossing and turning. Everyone was like going crazy. He was sleeping. Hakadosh Baruch you know, is sending this storm, and Yaina Navi is asleep. The captain of the boat looks all over for Yaina for whatever reason. He's Jewish. He feels maybe he would have the kayak to daven better than anyone else. He's not anywhere on the boat. He goes down to the boat, into the basement of the boat the hull, and he he sees Yaina as they're sleeping. And he says immortal words to Yaina. He says, How can you be asleep at a time like this? Go and call out to your God. This is not a time to sleep. There's a time in life to sleep, and then there's a time to be awake. And Yaina Navi, you have to wake up. You have to get out of this state of being in a slumber. Being out of it. You have to awaken yourself. You have to grab yourself by the lapels and say, wake up. Snap out of it. Stop living your life in a trance. Be alive. And that's why we read it on Yom Kippur. Because on Yom Kippur, it's the last chance to wake up and to chop what's going on. Now life is not a dream. Life is, is something that is real. Everything counts. And we can't afford to just go through our whole life year after year. I'm telling you, you think that, you know, when you're young, you could, you know, it's gonna get better. You know, maybe now, when I get married, then, you know, then I'll dab with Kavana, then I'll, trust me, it gets worse and worse. It's Pesach Eilid. When you're a Bachar, that's the time that you have to be the most vigorous. 
the most into it. If you're not into it now, that's a problem. Because your energy has to last you your whole life. Malacham Nirdam, we ask ourselves in Yom Kippur. It's enough sleep already. We have to wake up. We have to come kralalikacha. But the whole world, the truth is, is asleep. We're all sleeping. Every person in the world. Another bark from Rav Schwab. Rav Schwab says an amazing thing. I never thought of it, but if you look in the Torah, it's something that really, you know, it's shocking almost. Right at the beginning of Chumash Bereshis, it says, When he was creating Chavo, so he, you know, he did some like anesthesia on Adam because of surgery, he had to take out a rib. So he put it, he put Adam in a Tardema, in a very deep, like coma, in a very deep sedation. And then the Psukim Jeskadini Hashem spoke to Adam. Like life went on. For Schwab takes note of the fact that never did it say that Adam Arishain awoke from his slumber. Never awoke. And the reason for that is to teach us that we're still always in a state of slumber. From that first slumber until today, we're still sleeping. We're awake. We're awake. I mean, technically I'm awake. I'm not sleeping. But we're asleep in a spiritual sense. Many of us are just, we're just constantly asleep. We're not feeling it. We're not doing it. We're not, it's not real. So Schwab says that's why in davening we make a bracha of hamavir shein on me'enai that's the last bracha in the list of Birchaz HaShachar. HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes away the slumber from our eyes and allows us to be awakened. And then right after we say, like a tefillot HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Shetargileinu b'sayrasecha v'dabkeinu mitzvaysecha. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you should allow us to be like accustomed to your Torah and attach ourselves to the mitzvah Zokter Shwab. There's like a heckish between the bracha and the tefillah. Because precisely because we are so asleep and we awoke in the morning, but that awakeness should not only be a physical awakening, that you allowed me to wake up in the morning. I have my soul back, I'm alive, I'm, I'm, I'm up. It has to be in tandem with being up internally as well, spiritually as well. Just like we wake up from our slumber of the night, we also have to wake up from the slumber of not being into Torah, not being into mitzvahs. We ask the pump us up, give us adrenaline in order to awaken to your Torah and to your mitzvahs as well. Now, throughout the whole year, this is obviously a challenge. And it's a challenge for mankind. We're all like this. We're all built very similar. It's very hard to find people that are always on, even like very from people. Sometimes, you know, they have ups and downs. We have vicissitudes. Some days we're, we have a good davening. Some days we don't have a good, some days we have a good seder, bad seder. Some days we, you know, we're really machbin on midah. Some days we're not. Some days we're not, but on our some days we're not. That's how human beings are. We have ups and we have downs, but on the whole, we are sort of guilty of being semi-comatose. We're a little bit awake, a little bit not. The Rambam writes in Hilchas Chuba, perhaps the most famous Rambam of all Rambams, maybe. He says, Shaifer Rosh Hashanah is really, it's not Torah. The Torah says to do it. But the Ram calls it Xeris HaKosov. It's something that the Torah just decrees. We don't know. Meaning there's a lot of reasons that, you know, people might think. But the Ram says at the end of the day, it's Xeris HaKosov. Even though, says the Ram, that Tzkiyah Shefer and Rosh is just purely Xeris HaKosov. There's no reasons. 
Don't throw reasons at me. But, the Ram says if you want a daher, if you want a little bit of a, you know, of, of something to keep in mind as the shaper is being blown, what it's supposed to do, what is the shaper supposed to represent? It's a, it's a shaper. Hakadosh Baruch says to blow the shaper, we blow the shaper. Hakadosh Baruch would have told us to, you know, to play a ukulele, we play a ukulele. It's whatever the Rebbeinu Shalom wants. We don't know why he, why he told it. It's irrelevant to us. But says the Rambam, there is a remez to it. There is a method to the, you know, to the, to the reason why Hakadosh Baruch Hu assigned a shaper, and that is. Kloimar Uru Yeshene Mishinaschem. Awaken you sleeping people from your sleep. Venir Domim Hekitsumitardu Maschem. And you slumbers awaken from your slumber. It's like a deeper sort of, deeper type of sleep. Vechipsu Vimasechem Mechazru Bechuva. Examine your actions, examine your deeds, do chuva. Vizichu Barachem. And remember your Bayre. Remember your Creator. Awaken to the reality that you have a Bayre. Remember that there is a Rabbi Shalom in the world. It's interesting. I saw once a Mesa from Revolvi. Revolvi said that he once visited Rebchatzko. He once visited Rebchatzko. And Rebchatzko was an old man by then. And he said to Abchatzko on the way out, he said, I think it was revolving. Almost positive was revolving. He says to Abchatzko, what should I tell the Talmudim? What should I tell the Talmudim? What should be my theme? What should be my focus? When you're dealing with Bachrim, what, what, you know, as a Mashkech in Yeshiva, what am I supposed to focus upon? So I guess he thought, you know, that he was going to say gaiva or taiva or, you know, or davening or something. He says, just remind them, Reb Chatzko says to the younger Rebaldi. He says, just remind them that there's a Rebbein Shalom in the world. That's your job. Just to make people aware. Bring cognition to the fact that there's a God in the world. Isn't that a simple thing? As simple and as elementary as it should be, it's really not. We always forget that there's a Rebbein Shalom in the world. We always forget about it. We know it in the back of our mind. For, but do we live it? Do we feel it? Do we breathe it? Do we get up in the morning and, and, and jump out of bed to serve the Rebbein Shalom? When we learn Torah, do we do it L'Shem Shamayim? When we daven, are we being mistabic to the Rebbein Shalom? When we shake Lulav and Esrik, all the things that we're doing, do we feel the Rebbein Shalom? So the Rambam is saying, this is the time the Shaifer is supposed to awaken us to the reality that it's time to do tshuva. The Rambam is saying that the Shaifer is supposed to awaken us you and I, because we are asleep. What are we asleep? What does it mean we're asleep? He says we forget. Because of all the trivial things that we're engaged in, and we're all engaged in so much triviality, so much stuff, so much, so much junk that we waste our time with. It's so easy to waste time. Uh, Atama came to me last year and he said that you know I said I haven't seen you like in, in a week where are you there's a nice boy very good boy where are I haven't seen you in a week were you not feeling well he says no it's fine he says so where were you he says well I'm, I'm, I got very into um, a certain video game so when he says video game I'm thinking like what I, what I played as a kid you know Pac-Man or uh, you know Miss Pac-Man uh, you know, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, whatever asteroids. You know, I'm dating myself, but these are like you know, th- those are like you know. But okay, you put a quarter in the machine. You know, two, five, ten minutes later, it's done. You go back to to learn. And so, what what takes a week for a video? So you don't understand, Rabbi. I don't know when you were born, where you were born, but today there are video games 
It was not much like I was sitting at the edge of my seat, like my my jaw was like agape. I didn't like. I was like, "What are you talking?" He says, "There are like characters in these video games, and it's like a world, and like you become part of a story, and the story is like very emotional, and you and 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 you you're like and and you're like a part of this this alternate life." And, you know, you could just spend, you know, and there are other people in the whole world that are also playing the video games. They're also, like, interacting with... I don't know. I still don't know what he's talking about. But I hope you don't either. But he was, he was a week sucked into a video game. And I'm sure he could have spent a year in the video game. Hashoichim esoremes bahavoy azman. We forget... Because we're distracted, and that's just one thing. Now that sounds like bizarre to be distracted, and you know, by a video game. But we're so okay. So replace the word video game with, um, you know, following sports, following politics, following pop culture, watching YouTube, watching you know web uh, news sites. I mean, with an internet alone, you're you're basically set for life. Facebook, which. No one should be involved in Facebook. And if you, you're laughing at me like, you know, you think that I'm, you know, that, that I'm a Neanderthal or something, and that I don't know, I'm not hip enough to understand the Milo Facebook, you should just know that it's a terrible, terrible thing. Facebook is something that nobody should have a Facebook page. Nobody should go to other people's Facebook pages. Nobody should be a friend of somebody. Nobody should be a fan of somebody. It's, it's, it's the worst thing that a person could be is to be involved with Facebook. Because it also, it's an alternate lifestyle. Basically, you're communicating, you're befriending people from all over the world, you're posting pictures, and you're, you're basically, you're no longer like, tethered to a base medrash and to, and to the chevr that you should be having here. And you find like virtual chevrs around the world, and that's not appropriate. It's not appropriate even if you're befriending, you know, Yeshiva Bachrim all over the world from Panovich and Brisk. But that's not who you're befriending. I don't think they're on Facebook. If you're on Facebook, then I think that, I think you can cancel Facebook. And if all your friends are going to be wondering, hey, what happened to him? Did he fall off the, you know, the face of the earth? Who cares? It's not a good idea. But Hashaykhim Esa Ebes Bahabay Azman, the Ram says, you know, we're asleep. We allow ourselves over the course of our lives to have been lulled into this, you know, virtual world, and time is ticking. Sometimes, you know, you sit down by the computer to check your emails and you start like, you know, going to Yeshiva World, the bus is nice. Before you know it, it's like four hours are gone. And you're like, well, what happened to that time? I don't know, just like, you know, when you're doing this stuff, it's like, it, time is non-existent. You could have learned during that time, you could have studied in that time, you could have, you know, done real, played sports or something, but instead it's just complete man. These are things that, tools that are supposed to make our lives easier, they just make us lazier. The word lazy and easy just became, like, interchanged. It didn't make it easier to live. It's, it's just, it made us lazy. You know, obesity is a huge problem in America today because nobody, when I was a kid, there wasn't, you know, much to do. So you, you, you went outside and you played ball, you, you, you rode your bike. Why should I ride my bike today? I could, you know, I could ride a virtual bike. I could go online and, you know, find a video game and, and jog and, and, and do everything virtually. Why do I have to pick myself up off the couch? It's a different world. And it's your world. Baruch Hashem, I mean, it's my world, you know, in this part of my life, but I didn't have that as a kid, Baruch Hashem. But you do. And it's something that you have to fight. And now's the time to fight. It's Elul. Rosh Hashanah is coming up. We hear the Shaifer every morning. The Shaifer, you know, on Rosh Hashanah is coming up. And it's supposed to tell us, the Ramam says, wake up. It's an alarm clock. We've been sleeping and sleeping. It's trying to look. It's enough sleep already. Malachan Nirdam, why do you have to sleep so much? Not physical sleep, but spiritual sleep. Wake up. We all have to wake up and be mature and realize now there's nothing to wait for, that 
it's really time to change. It's time to do tshuva a little bit. It's time to get real, get with the program, find our neshama. If you're not going to do it now, in Elul, in Yeshiva, with Rosh Hashanah approaching, so when are we going to do it? I promise you that if you feel like you can keep kicking the can down the alley, it's not going to work. If you're not going to do it now, don't think you're going to be able to do it next year. There's a time that we have to wake up and we have to say, all right, you know what, let's try to, you know, snap out of this trance, let's try to do things a little better, not a lot better. We're not going to become the stifler in learning all of a sudden because I gave a schmooze. It's ridiculous. I'm not going, we're not going to be learning 36 hours at a time like without any, you know, just completely like enraptured in our learning. We're not going to dive in like, you know, like who knows what. But Rapam gives us an eighth when it comes to tshuva and he gets it from the Torah. The Torah says, the Ramban says that's talking about tshuva. Tshuva, we've said a hundred times already, this Elul. Tshuva is not something hard, it's not complicated, it's easy. The Torah says, it's easy. We bought, we were at Staples for, uh, to buy back to school supplies, which is, by the way, the most ridiculous thing in the world. These, the, the boys are normal. The boys, my son, you take him to the store, he gets what I got as a kid. I got a, a loose leaf with some paper, some dividers, and, uh, and, a, and a pen. That's all you need. The girls, I'm telling you, the Lisham goes, and I think my wife spent close to $1,000 on three girls. They need, they came back from Staples or wherever the stores were, with like, mamish, a whole, like 10 camp trunks full of, you know, of the equivalent of 10 camp trunks, full of, you know, you know everyone needs four binders, 10 things of loose leaves, um, a, a protractor, a compass, a, uh, a ruler, um, a pencil box, a hundred pencils, four hundred magic markers, um, you know, reinforcements, um, white out, glue, stick glue, real glue. I'm not joking. Every single girl. Three girls. And my son, my baby son was there, so he, while everyone else was looking for school supplies, he found this this button from Staples that you keep pressing, it says Staples on it and it says, that was easy that was easy, which was more annoying to me than all the school supplies, because it doesn't end, at least the girls took those school supplies to school, I, don't have to, I just have to pay the bill I don't have to look at them anymore but that was easy it was, but that space of the Torah is basically saying about Chuba, that was easy that's how Chuba should be the Ramban says that the mitzvah of tshuva is by definition very easy. It's just, it's, it's just, the Ramam really makes it easy. You know, it's charata, it's kabbalah it's vidu, it's done. That was easy. It's easy. So Rapam takes it a step further and he says, so where do you, where do you start when it comes to doing tshuva? Like, okay, I want to do tshuva. What do I start with? Kikarevei lecha. He says, go find the thing that's nearest and dearest to your heart and start there. Meaning, you can't do everything. You can't do tshuva on everything. I'm not going to be at Sadiq Gummer in five minutes. That's not what the Torah expects of me. I have to pump myself up. I have to, you know, inject a little adrenaline into my Abayda Hashem. So find personally what you feel a certain affinity towards in your life. Some people love davening. You know, davening is their thing. They wake up and they run to the, you know, if it's two o'clock in the morning, you know, and they realize they didn't daven matter, they'll drive like to Borough Park to Shema. You know, all these stories. People, like some people like, if, if davening is your thing, if you never miss a minion, and davening is, so don't say, oh, that's not my advice, I gotta do, no, work on that. Make your davening even better. You like that, so it's easy. So, it's close to you, bring it closer. That's where you should start your Avedah. We're looking to simplify things. We're not looking to do the impossible. If I would tell you, you know, you have to climb Mount Everest to do tshuva, you know, everyone would say, okay, thanks, you have your I'm not saying that. 
All you have to do is find what you like in Yiddishkeit. If you're somebody that likes learning, so then put more into learning. Put some spunk into learning. If you like doing chesed, do chesed better. It's things that you feel close to. That's where you start the journey of tshuva. Tshuva is easy. And it's even easier than you think because it starts by what you want and what you like and what you enjoy. Find the part of Yiddishkeit that you do like. And that's where you should focus like a laser on that point and start there being ma'er yourself. And then, of course, it'll spread. If my davening is better, then I'll go into first seder better. If my first seder is better, then maybe by lunch I'll, I'll bench better. And if I, then my mincha, my shir, everything will be better. If my midas are better, then that'll spill over to kibbut avayim. My kibbut avayim is better, then I'll, you know, have better relationships with my, with my siblings, maybe. That's how it's, we have to start at a certain point that's close, that's near, that's dear. That's where you should start the Avaidah. And that's where we should be ma'ayr ourselves. And once we're ma'ayr ourselves a little bit, once we start, you know, coming to life a little bit, we start like getting a pulse back, and the Tardema is going away, then we can slowly, slowly be able to rehabilitate our entire makeup our entire spiritual makeup of Hamavir Shena Me'enai Usumi Afafai Shetagilena Besayasecha Vedabkein Mitzvaysecha. When we waken ourselves up spiritually, then things in Mitz Hashem will get better and better. Our closeness with the Rabbanu Shalom, our Abaydes Hashem, our Yerushalayim, will all flow from a little beginning of awakening and the. Forgetting about the Havle Azman, ignoring, trying to minimize the things that are taking us away from what we should be doing. That's the Sur Meira. We have to start slowly with that also. Slowly. You know, we shouldn't be going, you know, and looking at so much of the internet every day. We should not be going on Facebook at all. Or Twitter or all these other things. It's not, it's not for us. It's just simply not for us. And then the Asay Taif, start something small. Start a project for yourself. Start doing something the right way with full, fresh energy. And amidst Hashem, from that, who knows, the waves that will come as a result of the beginning, the little trickle that will start amidst Hashem today. Have a wonderful Shabbat.